Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, everybody. My name is Martin Gregg, and from Backpage, you're listening to the big interview with Graham Hunter at the Euros. It's the day before the final of Euro 2020, and I'm not going to call it match day minus one, but Graham Hunter is on the line to discuss England, Italy. Again, we've got a nice themed episode coming up, but I just want to check in about tomorrow night's game. And I think generally the right two teams are in the final and it's probably a 50-50 game. Yeah, I'm not angry about who's in the final. There have been times when I've thought, um, this isn't legitimate. There's been an incident which drives me crazy. I've said all I want to say about Azerbaijani linesmen and and... Jeff Hurst and Raheem Sterling and penalties and whatever. There was a much, I think, around the country, uh, there's been a much fiercer debate about the merits of that penalty. And I, I wanted to treat it with a little bit of sardonic humour in the night. And, and therefore, I'm not, I'm not ranting about England being in the final because, in, in my view, on the, on the night against Denmark, they outplayed them. They made some seriously good chances and... I don't have a complaint at all that England came out of that semi-final. And what's more, I agree with your idea about it being 50-50 and I won't be shocked if Italy win it. But I have a sense of, um, not just a sense of inevitability, I have a sense that, that, for example, that penalty confirmed, like I said the other night, England's gradual ascension into, into getting performances, getting decisions, forcing decisions, forcing luck that across my life, not just across my career, the bigger international sides consistently got. You learn that just like a side like Scotland, that you can repeatedly, you know, twist a kaleidoscope and say, what bad luck we've had. But if you're saying that once every two years for 40 years, then you learn that there's something above and beyond bad luck. And I think the, the converse is true. I'm not sure if it's converse or inverse, so I'm just going to say it with conviction because that's what big players do. They say it with conviction and they carry it off and then in the papers the next day they say, he got it wrong and I say, well, it's too late because winner, winners write history. When big sides come away consistently with moments like that, it, it marks them down as, as winners. Not all winners across history have done it with panache and brutality and a, and a, and a handsome margin. You win any old how. I think England have got that. So, you know, you asked about my feeling. You'll ask me more about what you want to share about the, the way the final might develop. But looking at it from a distance and, and for a couple of weeks now, it's felt to me that even when England are vulnerable, even when things don't necessarily click, they're, they're, they're wholly different now. They're a, they're a team with a system. And the things that, things that have made me believe now 
since before Ukraine, because I didn't have any doubt they would beat Ukraine, but the, the, the performance they put in that day, plus the performance against Germany, not the scoreline, the performance, plus the large part of the performance against Denmark, told me that they've got reserve. I think they've got, you know, that a lot of focus is put upon Southgate's eleven. And that's understandable because that's always the headline ticket. But, you know, I haven't done a calculation since earlier on in the tournament. And I think it was that day, it was Neil I was speaking to. But at the point where I last spoke about it, I think 71% of the goals were coming in second halves and in extra times. Now, listen, while we're speaking, I could probably do that calculation right now. Because, so here we are from... In first halves, 51 goals have come in the first half, whereby 97 goals have come after halftime. So that's, that's, that's a slightly changed proportion, but it's heavily towards teams that can accelerate in the second half or that can accelerate. I mean, one of the big proportions are, in fact, the biggest proportion of goals come between 46 and 60. So that's halftime. The managers have had a chat. You've all had a glass of orange aid. You've patted each other on the back. The massage has been over your thighs. And then there's a spurt between 46 and 60. That's 30 goals. The biggest number of goals, if you split it up into periods of time, comes between 46 and 60. But the next biggest number of goals come between minutes 76 and 90. And I'm relating that back to, I'm not doing, I'm not talking Italy down. But I think if you look across, now, a sort of phalanx of players that probably... Let's leave the fullbacks out of this. Although I could easily imagine Rhys James coming on and marauding down the wing and, and, and imposing himself and, and creating a goal. That's easy to do. But let's leave the defenders out of it. Going, moving forward from Henderson through Sacco, Mount, Foden, Grealish, and even um, Everton centre forward, Cavalloon, there's a, there's a big phalanx of footballers there who haven't run themselves into the ground, who've either been used sparingly or have so little kilometres in their legs that you could genuinely expect them to be able to take a game away from an opponent uh, this Sunday night. So I think a combination um, of respect for the way in which... There's another thing too. Your man, Steve Holland... I don't, it frustrates me a little bit because he's one of the few major players in this that I haven't had direct experience with. Reputation, very good. And, and I love the way that there's a, to my way of understanding, there's a clear delineation between him and Southgate. It's not to suggest that Southgate doesn't have a tactical brain, but I, I've never honestly looked at him and thought there's somebody who's, who's standout at reading the game. He seems to me to be an absolute standout at reading people. Now, I'm not comparing him to Ferguson in achievements, but as much as Alec understood football and was an inveterate gambler and a brilliant percentage gambler, his massive, massive strength was people, understanding people, undermining people, inspiring people, changing people, giving support to people. Ferguson was, I think, first and foremost, apart from hard and a winner, his, his skill lay in, in how to utilise human resources or how to destroy human resources. Southgate's a different milkier tea version of that. But the match between him as a leader, as an organiser, as a as a people man, as somebody who sets standards, somebody who reads a group mood, who reads a national mood, and then apparently on the touchline he's completely unabashed about taking 
tutorials on 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 the there's no way that he, he goes into the dugout turns his back on the cameras speaks directly down holland sitting down as if to say look you can't see what i'm saying you can't see who's the dominant partner here he's out there doesn't give a hoot that you can see the two halves of the orange and again, I really like that. And I think it's useful to us analytically because we're beginning to see how England compute things. So I've left a lot of, you know, out there about why I think that England will win it. But I, I buy your idea that Italy are much more hard-boiled. Many more of them have been this course or something similar to it. There's a different dynamic between Mancini and, and Viali and even Lombardo. I think there's a massive power and momentum. Those three have known each other for, you know, practically their entire adult lives. I think that if you look at the, the there's a contagious spirit within the Italy camp of we can play with most teams, we can outwork most teams, we're more streetwise than almost every team, and boy, we believe in the leader. There's a cult thing going on now. If you remember, Martin, I think of all the interviews we've had and you've, you know, you've produced and edited a lot of the content to the extent that you'll, you'll know it better than me. But um, when Michael Richards said to us, and, and you listened to the way in which he worked hard to win Mancini over, win, worked hard to, 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 to put up with being told you're not good enough positionally and took it, took the advice, worked on it, and adored what Mancini did for him and adored being part of that league winning team. But by the end he said, and he said it frankly, there were people in that dressing room who he'd lost. Now we don't see that. We don't see the the outside. There's so much fixation on he's still slim, he's still elegant, his hair is luxurious and, and, and Samson-esque. Look at his wardrobe and all that bullshit. It's nice, it's nice to describe that. It's it would be ignoble to ignore it but it doesn't tell you anything about what's revitalised an Italy side that was in pieces when he took over and which when you know not long ago Spain were comfortably pumping 3-0 in qualifying so my point of view would be this there's a ruthless hard detailed driven culture within the Italy camp and I'll throw one last thing is that I don't yet know how Chiesa is and I don't want to make too big a deal of it, but when he came off, he, I, I'd spotted him holding the back of his thigh prior to him being substituted. Prior to, I mean, at the beginning of the second half, that laughing and joking with Luis Enrique will stand with me for as long as the as people, you know, longer than people talking about Chiellini and Alba. It was remarkable. And Keza looks as if he's going to be special. He might not be an, a, a world-class footballer, but he's got equally what his father had is, is that ability to f- not only find himself in the right place at the right moment, but do something with that, that golden spot. So I hope he's fit because that will make it a better final. But I think without, without being definitive about Italy's chances, that would be naive. Chiesa being fully fit, I think, changes the jigsaw a lot. And I'll wait to, before I start pronouncing on who I think is definitively going to win, I'll wait to see how Chiesa is. But at this moment, looking forward to tomorrow night's final, I, 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 I'm, I'm unashamedly saying that I think that England have the momentum, the understanding and the resources, irrespective of being at home. I'm, I'm sometimes unsure 
you know, until you learn how to handle it, whether being at home with all this build-up, with all this pressure, is automatically an undivided advantage. It, it should be a plus. If you're struggling and the crowd is roaring you on, it, it should give you some adrenaline. Whether it's an absolute automatic, if they go one or two down and, and the crowd is basically wearing brown trousers, that's not a help. So we'll see. But at this stage, at this distance, using my, my trusty binoculars, Martin, it's, um, it's England. We, we do have a lot of questions to get through, and this is why I, I'm just going to name-check Daniel Hanna, who submitted the question about Fede Chiesa. He says he's been a gladiator this tournament, constantly scrapping, legs flying, arms nudging, and technically gorgeous. It's been a long time since we've seen someone like him from Italy. He says, how far can this guy go? Could he be the difference against England? So I think you've kind of addressed that. If he's fit, then it could be very, very exciting. There is one question which is going to kind of form the core of this episode, which is occasionally we do get questions in from the socials that kind of make us take a breath and think about where we could take the question. Um, we did a couple of months ago with Meryn Murtle's question about Madrid's three-peat team, which we made into an episode with Pete Jensen. I hope you enjoyed that one. This question is from one of our socials, Robert Ryan, who asks, the last time England faced Italy in a major tournament was in 2014, when they lost 2-1 at the Brazil World Cup. What one player would you choose from each side to complement each of today's teams? So just to give you a little bit of background on that game, that was the opening game of the 2014 World Cup for Italy and England. Uh, 2-1 to Italy, goals from Marchisio and Balotelli and Sturridge for England. Rewatching the highlights earlier, it was interesting. England probably should have got at least a draw from the game. Um, but of course, they ended up going out in the group stages. I think it was after just two matches they were eliminated, if memory serves me right. But anyway, the England team that day was Joe Hart in goal, Glenn Johnson, Phil Jagielka, Gary Cahill, Leighton Baines, midfield Henderson, Gerrard, then there's Raheem Sterling who was probably playing just behind Sturridge up front and then you have Welbeck and Rooney on the wings. So obviously given that Sterling will play tomorrow and Henderson's in the squad, you know, you've got the choice of, of the remaining names. I did go back to Robert and asked him directly who he would choose and he says... He says, England, I don't want to sound cliched, but Wayne Rooney. I actually think a lot of the current team I wouldn't change, but I'm not sure the England 10 position has been owned by a Mason Mount, a Grealish or Foden just yet, even if sometimes the formation has restricted that. A 2014 Wayne Rooney with Grealish off to his left and Sancho or Sterling. He said, I'm nearly buying an England strip myself. So that's that's great thoughts from, from Robert himself. What about you, Graham? Looking at that lineup. Is there anyone you would pluck out and parachute in tomorrow night? Well, first of all, as as somebody who's been known to sell old fish as fresh fish in my life, depending on the circumstances, you've just given me a reminder that all crime needs complicity. And you are complicit in a great scam that um, Roberto's just carried off there because not only... He's got split nationality... And he ain't buying no England strip. I know he said that, but you've read it out as if it might be true. Um, he's a big man for his club side, um, who are Scottish champions. He'd be a big man for Scotland, but above all, he'd be a big man for the Azzurri. So I know he used this phrase t- to make a point, and I'm and I'm I'm tempted to agree with him on on England. It's it's not necessarily simple. My regard for Stephen Gerrard as a footballer is such that Rooney probably 
proved more or, or, or found more recompense for his talent throughout his career because he chose Manchester United. And Steven Gerrard, his trophy haul is exceptional, particularly in the Ulié treble. Um, if you think about Istanbul, if you think about that FA Cup against West Ham, but across his career, it, it just it just reeked of greatness. But one of the things he didn't benefit from was a manager who was utterly and completely clear, not only about what a system was, but how it should function and who should be in, in the composite parts. And therefore, if you fit, Gerard deserved more than much though we loved Sven Juran Eriksson as a guest on our series and still regard him as a as a great football man, a great storyteller, and his his achievements across his career dwarf what might be said about him as England coach. But when he couldn't bring himself to tell Lampard and Gerard either one of you sitting out or this is you must sit, <laughs> you must organise your um, Declan Rice or or your Calvin Phillips. He didn't do that, and you know these these North South players spoke really well on BT. And it's worth name-checking them because when they had a panel or panels that repeatedly featured Rio Ferdinand and Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard before managerial duties took two of them away, the degree to which they spoke frankly was the type of thing that we aspired to in the big interview. And they talked about division. They talked about jealousy. They talked about falling out with one another. Okay, not so much Gerrard and Lampard, but nonetheless there was a sort of cat and water feeling between the two of them. the hackles didn't go completely up. They were not a partnership. They were they were they were fighting tooth and nail between Chelsea and Liverpool. But we're still is when you listen to Rio Ferdinand and Frank Lampard having grown up together close, close as friends, but close on the pitch too, having shared similar things, having London backgrounds, and yet Lampard probably being the one who, who would confront it most and, and talk about the division when Rio Ferdinand was at Manchester United and how they stopped talking and stopped really stopped having a friendship. Now, for England, that cost them. And the reason that, that Roberto, I think that Rooney's decision speak, speaks for itself. And just to treat your suggestion there, I, 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 think it, I think it dovetails with one of the things I was trying to, don't know if I achieved um, communicating it, but I've seen it for club level. Um, but Harry Kane dropping deep into a 10 position for England really was exciting Particularly, he's done it across the tournament in, in glimpses, less so at the beginning of the tournament, where, number one, he was much more playing as, as a tired, flat-footed nine. And number two, Souness was still right in one of the descriptions he made about him, about coming deep into midfield, not ten, coming deep into midfield, just to get a touch of the ball, just to make what Souness called old man passes. That was right. But gradually, you know, the description that you get on television from ex-pros broadly isn't good enough and not even close some of them are excelsior but some of them talk about oh well he's the common mantra is he's got a goal now and therefore he'll be fine well explain that it's not just a boost of confidence for a goal scorer means that another goal is coming that's bullshit what changes completely or what changed completely was Kane's willingness to to provide for others. Yeah, if a nine drops back into a 10 position, he's often thinking, if I drop back into a 10 position and either feed it in just inside me either side or wide, I'll get the return pass and there's a hint of selfishness. But Kane is definitely playing now. Now that he's, he's he as soon as a goal went in, it was like, it was like a little thing clicked in the place of, yeah, the team's got to win. I'm not accusing him of being selfish, but his decisions now 
You know, infinitesimal decisions taken in split seconds are about doing the right thing all the time. Sometimes he's not capable of it. So the idea of Kane ostensibly being nine in Roberts formation with with uh, Rooney in behind him at 10, with two of the, the wide players on either side, whether you'd even call Grealish a wide player, I'm not so certain, but the combination of skills and instinctive understanding of Rooney and Grealish behind Kane, superb. But Rooney obviously played nine, can play nine, irrespective of the number of goals he got, he had the ability to play wide, 10, nine. But him and Kane interchanging, as in, as in as Mount is trying to do for Kane at the moment, superb. That prospect is absolutely brilliant. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry, and some well less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs. United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. But Gerard Roberto in midfield, either in place of, so, so partnered by Rice or partnered by Phillips, probably partnered, I think, at this stage by Rice, who's far happier being the defensive shield, the organiser, who I think is, is growing into an exceptional player. And it's now maybe two, three years since I said, if I was, you know, an AC Milan trying to rebuild, Dortmund, um, Atletico Madrid. I would sign that player right away. At the time, maybe he wasn't quite in that position to go to walk straight into you know Real Madrid or Juventus or Barcelona at that stage. But to, to my eye, there was no question that that's where he was going to get to. So Roberto, I, you know, I'll see your Wayne Rooney and I'll raise your Steven Gerrard. Which you are in, Robert. You are in no position to argue against Steve Gerrard's greatness. Eh? So I'm taking it that I won that argument with Stevie G. And Martin, you applied the, the question to both sides, and, and now this is difficult because Pirlo gets in. Pirlo at that stage gets in any team anywhere, and and probably it's got to be Pirlo. And Balotelli never quite punched his weight either at club or international level because his weight was so much greater. I always talk about the the Nike boot launch I went to, where there was Cesc Fabregas, 
and there was who's the Dortmund white uh, Royce, and there was Thierry Henry, and there was Balotelli, and Balotelli. Every trick, every challenge they were asked to do in the new boots in front of an audience, Balotelli was best at. Balotelli gets talked about in terms of his nonsense, his personality, his why owes me, his size and his power. When in fact, he was a sumptuous football, extraordinary footballer. And, and therefore, again, uh, Roberto, I think there's a big debate about the obvious, natural brilliance of Pirlo, who gets in ahead of De Rossi, as far as I'm concerned, in this debate. But maybe this team, wouldn't you argue that maybe this team requires an out-and-out striker? And and just to, to deal with Dan's question, Martin, Dan, Dan something special is happening with Chiesa. He, he, he's now played about 30 internationals for Italy. And, you know, a couple of goals at this tournament are goals two and three, in 30 internationals yes he's 23 but you can hear the sound of a click you can hear the sound of 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 daring I think it's Austria where he comes on and scores and Austria have gone toe to toe Chiesa's little reach out with his right foot gets high up slaps the ball down and then finished that invention that risk uh, as far as I'm concerned separates him out and it was a lovely 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 goal should have been defended better by Eric Garcia it's a lovely goal against Spain but this, yes I think I've already said Martin referenced that so I won't speak long about this I think he makes a big difference about Italy's cutting edge but I'm saying that on current form not stats so at 23 and not 24 till October having played a lot for Fiorentina as a very young man and having been schooled at Juventus and having to fight for his place at Juventus we're watching the, the, the click the click is happening so I hope he plays and in Robert's idea hypothetical world for my taste he's probably playing next to on the right of Balotelli but they're facing uh, an England midfield with Stevie Gerrard in it and millions more would be watching on Sunday if that were the case. Is there any kind of debate over Joe Hart Pickford? Uh, and if there is, then it's quite an interesting one because, I mean, it reflects how much football has evolved in the past seven or eight years that Pickford is now number one because he has this ability with the ball at his feet and... You know, Hart's inability with the ball at his feet kind of cost him his, his career, certainly at Man City. So, but it's quite an interesting one because, in terms of shot stopping ability, Joe Hart at the peak of his powers was was something to behold. I, I think they separate in a couple of ways beyond what you're talking about, which is the reason that Guardiola used for eliminating Joe Hart from the picture at City quite quickly. One of those reasons is that Joe Hart was is not was is a huge character and felt he ruled the roost at Manchester City. When Pep Guardiola comes in, even though I'm not claiming that Joe Hart behaved in a way to... Pep Guardiola had his number down already and went, I'll tell you how, one of the ways I'm going to make this my dressing room. <laughs> it's like this. So you have to be a little bit sorry for Joe Hart because personality and, and owning the dressing room in English will actually get you a lot of purchase over the years. Unfortunately, the time was changing. The thing that differentiates him from me, Martin, and I love this question that you've posed, is that I'm, I'm not... You know, inventing this now. I always said publicly, and whenever I was asked to write about the subject, that Joe Hart's natural ability and his defiance, his attitude, did make him special. But his housekeeping was always poor. There were always moments when a save would be followed by the ball bouncing out where it shouldn't. Percentage moments of the punch instead of the catch, 
or if a great save was made, does it go around the post or does it drop out? And every, because it's the paucity in television coverage, the quality of t- television commentary of football in, in England, you're still a hero if you've made a save irrespective of the rebound going in, and that's not right. Now, Pickford reminded me a lot of um, Joe Hart in that capacity in that clearly short-stopping was one of his things, and he's not bad with the ball at his feet. But I think he's. I think he had... Not, not. I'm not talking about massive errors. Like Hart, the job wasn't complete. The job of of training yourself about how much a goalkeeper's life involves wasn't complete for either of them. But Pickford's worked on it. I think in goalkeeping terms, he's worked on it, and he's admitted that he went. He decided it was time to use a sports psychologist. Now, I think that he did that at a time when it was vital, when Henderson or Sam Johnson or or, or Pope. The pack was closing in, and they were they looked at certain stages pretty remorseless. And I think that he's now also been given Pickford such splendid defence protection, starting from the midfield too. I think when people talk about a goalkeeper and defence protection, they always think about the back five or the back four or whatever. I don't. I think that you know Phillips and Rice have changed um, Pickford's life, but I think Pickford has shown something that I'm not convinced uh, Joe Hart consistently understood, which is like, no matter how lauded you are, no matter how secure you feel about your position, tiny details need to be improved. And I think without ever reaching world-class status, Pickford is, is on that journey and, listen, you have to commend him for it, I think. Just for the record, that Italian lineup was Sirigu and goals, a back four of Darmian, Barzagli, Paletta and Chiellini, midfield of Pirlo, De Rossi and Verratti and I'm going to say a front three of probably Candreva, Balotelli and Marchisio. Uh, it's really worth actually going back and watching the highlights of that game, if only for Pirlo's incredible dummy for Marchisio's first goal, um, which he just uh, lets go through his legs and Marchisio picks it up 25 yards out and scores it's, it's just wonderful. Martin, I have to, can, I give, can I give a little bit of value seeing as you've You've talked about Marquisio's goal. I was obviously I was at Wembley the other day, and I was mixing with a lot of people, um, friends, long-term friends, including friend of the show Aurelio Capaldi, and Aurelio is working for Rayuno, and so is Marquisio. And I have to tell you, and I'm going to name no names, but some serious media protagonists on the on the English side of this were in the the Wembley Hilton, and were gazing slack-jawed at Marquisio's beauty. But if Marquisio was admired as a footballer, I think it's wholly unfair that he should he should now become still more adored and venerated for his abiding good looks and dress sense. It's we've got to stop this. Sometime next season, I'm starting an anti-Italian um, adulation campaign because Marquisio. Oh man, I tell you what, disgraceful. I mean. I- Obviously, the, the choice has to be Pirlo, not least because we published his book about two months before this game took place. I think, therefore, I play available in all good bookshops to this day. We always end in a, a bet 365 play of the day, but I think this is a fairly easy choice then. We've got a, a combined, our first time, a combined award for Andrea Pirlo and Wayne Rooney sharing our bet 365 player of the day award. Yeah, if, if you're stripping um, Roberto Ryan of that title, um, given that he's come up with, of course, with the question right. that's that, that, that's fired our imaginations and um, and given us this first build-up episode, then, you know, OK. But I think if you put wee Bobby Ryan and um, 
and Stephen Gerrard and, and Pelo or Balotelli and and Rooney in in a lineup, you'd say, ah, that wee Ryan fella, he's he's got something, he's got class. So Okay, folks, that's another show in the bag. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back with our match day preview tomorrow. Bye for now. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.